This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will be a question session reviewing multiple choice questions related to femoral neck fractures and tibial tubercle fractures, which are two topics that we covered this past week on the podcast. So let's get right into it. We'll start with femoral neck fractures, and the first question reads, Two elderly patients are sitting together in follow-up. They're similar in age and activity, and both are two years after treatment of their displaced femoral neck fractures. One patient underwent internal screw fixation, and the other underwent hemiarthroplasty. They've had no complications to date. What is the expected outcome between these two patients from now until their next follow-up visit in five years as it relates to their surgical techniques? And the choices are 1. Higher revision surgery rates with internal fixation techniques. 2. Higher revision surgery rates with replacement techniques. 3. No difference in revision surgery rates. 4. Higher mortality rates with internal fixation techniques. And 5. Higher mortality rates with replacement techniques. So when comparing patients treated with internal fixation or arthroplasty, there is no difference in failure rates between these groups between 2 and 10 years postoperatively which is why 3 is the correct answer to this question. Options for operative intervention for the treatment of displaced femoral neck fractures include fracture reduction with internal fixation and arthroplasty. Failure and revision rates with internal fixation techniques have historically been higher compared to arthroplasty in the postoperative period. However, most of the failures occur in the first two years of follow-up. After this point, the failure rates become similar. Leonardson et al. randomized a series of 470 patients over 70 years of age with displaced femoral neck fractures to internal fixation or arthroplasty. At 10 years, there were 99 failures, or 45.6% of patients, after internal fixation, compared with 17, or 8.8% of patients, after replacement. However, most of these failures occurred by the two-year follow-up, that is 43% for internal fixation and 6% for arthroplasty. Moving on to the next question. A surgeon contemplates performing a hemiarthroplasty or a total hip arthroplasty for an active, community-ambulating 70-year-old female with a displaced femoral neck fracture. Which of the following is true for these options? And the choices are 1. There is no significant difference in operative time when using cemented stems compared with uncemented stems. 2. Comparing hemiarthroplasty to total hip arthroplasty, there is no difference in blood loss. 3. Longer-term outcomes are better with hemiarthroplasty. 4. Bipolar hemiarthroplasty performed through a direct anterior or lateral approach leads to equivalent patient outcomes as total hip arthroplasty. And 5. Perioperative complication rate is greater after total hip arthroplasty than bipolar hemiarthroplasty. So total hip arthroplasty actually has a higher perioperative complication rate than hemiarthroplasty, making 5 the correct answer to this question. So there's a few differences between total hip arthroplasty and hemiarthroplasty performed in the setting of a displaced femoral neck fracture. Total hip arthroplasty has a higher dislocation rate, greater blood loss, requires a larger exposure than hemiarthroplasty, and the operation is longer. Hemiarthroplasty often requires reoperation because of progressive acetabular erosion. Patient outcomes and function are greater following total hip arthroplasty than hemiarthroplasty. Florschultz et al. reviewed current management of femoral neck fractures. They concluded that closed reduction internal fixation slash open reduction internal fixation is indicated for displaced femoral neck fractures in younger individuals, select active elderly, and medically unfit patients. Hemiarthroplasty is indicated for lower demand ambulatory older patients, and THA is indicated for the active elderly and those with pre-existing acetabular disease. 
Avery et al. reviewed 7-10 to 10 year results of a randomized controlled trial comparing total hip arthroplasty with hemiarthroplasty. More hemiarthroplasty patients had died during follow-up. All surviving patients had polyethylene wear and acetabular erosion. They concluded that there was lower mortality and a trend towards superior function in patients with a total hip arthroplasty in the medium term. Hedbeck et al. performed a randomized controlled trial comparing hemiarthroplasty and total hip arthroplasty. At four years, there was improved function and quality of life with total hip arthroplasty, and they recommended total hip arthroplasty in elderly lucid patients with a displaced femoral neck fracture. Moving on to the next question, which of the following methods of treating a vertically oriented, for example, a Powell's 3 femoral neck fracture, is mechanically optimal? And the choices are 1, 2 parallel fully threaded screws, 2, 3 parallel partially threaded screws, 3, 3 parallel fully threaded screws, 4, 4 parallel partially threaded screws, and 5 sliding hip screw and a side plate. So vertical fractures have a higher rate of displacement and non-union because of shearing forces across the fracture. Biomechanical and clinical studies indicate that for the vertically oriented fracture of the femoral neck, the most stable fixation construct is a sliding hip screw and a side plate. Anti-rotation screws may be used as well. Non-surgical management carries a high risk of early displacement because of shear forces. Three screws are loaded as a cantilever and have less resistance to displacement compared with a fixed angle device with a side plate. Fully threaded screws will not allow any compression and have the same drawbacks as partially threaded screws. The addition of a Ford screw has not been shown to be of benefit. But the correct answer to this question is 5. A sliding hip screw and side plate is mechanically optimal in treating a vertically oriented femoral neck fracture. Moving on to the next question. A 25-year-old male is involved in a high-speed motor vehicle collision and sustains a closed femoral shaft fracture. During further evaluation, a CT scan of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis reveals a non-displaced ipsilateral femoral neck fracture. Which of the following treatment options will most likely achieve anatomic healing of the femoral neck and minimize the risk of complications? And the choices are 1. Retrograde femoral nail followed by compression hip screw. 2. Lag screw fixation followed by plating of the femoral shaft. 3. Antigrade femoral nail followed by lag screw fixation. 4. Lag screw fixation followed by retrograde femoral nail. And 5. Proximal femoral locking plate. So an ipsilateral femoral neck fracture occurs in approximately 6% to 9% of all femoral shaft fractures. A comminuted mid-shaft femoral fracture secondary to axial loading should alert the treating physician to the possibility of an associated femoral neck fracture. As a result, trauma CT scans should be reviewed for non- to minimally displaced femoral neck fractures during the initial workup. Watson et al. did a retrospective review of 13 patients who had healing complications develop after their index surgical procedure for ipsilateral femoral shaft and neck fractures. Six of the eight, that is 75% of patients' femoral neck nonunions, occurred after the use of a second-generation reconstruction-type intramedullary nail. Factors contributing to nonunion of the femoral shaft were the presence of an open fracture, use of an unreamed, small-diameter intramedullary nail, and prolonged delay to weight-bearing. Lag screw fixation of the femoral neck fracture and reamed intramedullary nailing for shaft fracture stabilization were associated with the fewest complications. Peljovich et al. discussed that several treatment options are described in the literature, but no clear consensus exists regarding the optimal treatment of neck-slash-shaft fractures. Due to the potentially devastating complications of the femoral neck fracture in young patients, 
for example, avascular necrosis, nonunion, and malunion, the neck fracture should be treated first, followed by the shaft. Current recommendations involve treating the neck with a sliding hip screw versus cannulated screws, followed by intramedullary nailing of the femoral shaft. Moving on to the next question. A 70-year-old woman trips on the grass while playing golf and sustains a displaced comminuted femoral neck fracture. What is the optimal treatment for this patient? And the choices are 1. Open reduction internal fixation. 2. Bipolar hemiarthroplasty. 3. Total hip arthroplasty. 4. Unipolar hemiarthroplasty. And 5. Traction and non-operative treatment. So the correct answer to this question is 3. Total hip arthroplasty, as the literature suggests that elderly active individuals should be treated with the primary total hip after displaced femoral neck fractures. Keating et al. randomized 207 patients to be treated with either open reduction internal fixation, bipolar hemiarthroplasty, or total hip arthroplasty. There was no mortality difference among the three groups. However, the rate of secondary surgery was highest in the open reduction internal fixation group, that is 39% compared with 5% in the group treated with bipolar hemiarthroplasty and 9% in the group treated with total hip replacement. Tidermark et al. in a randomized controlled trial studied the difference between ORIF and total hip replacement in 102 patients. The total hip replacement group showed a lower overall complication rate, that is 36% versus 4%, and had higher hip function scores in regard to pain, movement, and walking. Moving on to the next question, which of the following cannulated screw configurations used in the treatment of subcapital femoral neck fractures is optimal? And the choices are 1. Inverted triangle pattern with the inferior screw posterior to the midline and adjacent to the calcar. 2. Inverted triangle pattern with the inferior screw anterior to the midline and adjacent to the calcar. 3. Triangle pattern with the superior screw posterior to midline and adjacent to the calcar. 4. Inverted triangle pattern with the inferior screw posterior to midline and central in the femoral neck. And 5. Inverted triangle pattern with the inferior screw anterior to midline and central in the femoral neck. So the strongest portion of the femoral neck is the posterior inferior neck in the region of the femoral calcar. The optimal biomechanical configuration includes an inverted triangle pattern with a single screw in the inferior aspect of the femoral neck adjacent to the calcar. Booth et al. performed a cadaveric study comparing central versus calcar, that is cortical adjacent, fixation. The results demonstrated significant improved stability, load, stiffness, and displacement in all tested parameters for the group with calcar-adjusted screw fixation. Lindquist and Tornquist performed a level 4 study of 72 femoral neck fractures. They found that all five of their non-unions had screws placed greater than 3 millimeters from the femoral calcar. Additionally, 16 of 18 fractures healed in the group of displaced fractures where both the fixating screws were placed within 3 millimeters from the femoral neck cortex. Gurusami et al. performed a level 4 study of 395 patients undergoing femoral neck fixation. They found a reduced spread of the screws on the lateral view was associated with an increased risk of non-union of the fracture. Moving on to the next question. A 27-year-old man sustains a displaced femoral neck fracture and undergoes urgent open reduction internal fixation. What is the most prevalent complication after this injury? And the choices are 1. Flexion contracture, 2. Hip stability, 3. Non-union, 4. Abductor lurch, and 5. Osteonecrosis. So femoral neck fractures in young patients are difficult to treat, and avascular necrosis is a significant concern. Despite advances in both imaging and implants, this injury often leads to functional impairment. But the correct answer to this question is 5. 
Osteonecrosis is the most prevalent complication after a displaced femoral neck fracture, especially in a young patient. Heidkowicz et al. followed treatment of femoral neck fractures in young patients. They found that almost 10% of displaced fractures were associated with the development of nonunion, whereas 27% were associated with the development of osteonecrosis. The results were influenced by fracture displacement and the quality of reduction. Varus malreduction most closely correlates with failure of fixation after reduction and cannulated screw fixation. Swiankowski reviews both the treatment and postoperative complications in intracapsular hip fractures. In this current concept review, the rate of AVN was discussed as being related to the preoperative degree of displacement seen on radiographs. Moving on to the next question, increased hip intracapsular pressures can lead to diminished femoral head perfusion. Which of the following limb positions has been shown to create the lowest intracapsular hip pressures after femoral neck fracture? And the choices are 1. Flexion and internal rotation, 2. Extension and external rotation, 3. Flexion, abduction, and external rotation, 4. Extension, adduction, and internal rotation, and 5. There are no differences in hip pressures with any position. So after ephemeral neck fractures, patients often present with their injured hip in a flexed, abducted, and externally rotated position due to decreased pain from minimization of the capsular distension from fracture hematoma, that is, if the capsule isn't disrupted. So the correct answer to this question is 3. Flexion, abduction, and external rotation is the position that has been shown to create the lowest intracapsular hip pressure after ephemeral neck fracture. In the study by Bonaire et al., extension and internal rotation had the highest intracapsular pressure. They found that the greatest decrease in pressure was found with flexion, abduction, and external rotation. This is a possible etiology to the common position in which these patients will present to the emergency room. Traction was shown to increase pressure in the joint capsule. And the final question for this topic, which set of patient characteristics has the highest risk of developing osteonecrosis after an intracapsular femoral neck fracture? And the choices are 1, a 45-year-old woman with a displaced fracture, 2, a 55-year-old man with a non-displaced fracture, 3, a 70-year-old woman with a non-displaced fracture, 4, a 70-year-old man with a displaced fracture, and 5, an 85-year-old woman with a displaced fracture. So Loizhou and Associates prospectively studied 1,023 patients who sustained an intracapsular hip fracture that was treated with internal fixation using contemporary methods. The overall incidence of osteonecrosis was 6.6%. Osteonecrosis was less common for undisplaced, that is in 4% of patients, than for displaced fractures, which occurred in 9.5% of patients, and in men, 4.9% of the time, and women, 11.4% of the time, who had a displaced fracture. The incidence of osteonecrosis for those patients younger than 60 years and who sustained a displaced fracture was 20.6% compared with 12.5% for those aged 60 to 80 years and 2.5% for those older than age 80. Barnes and Associates reported that late segmental collapse was more common in displaced fractures in women younger than age 75 years than in those older than age 75 years. But the correct answer to this question is 1. A 45-year-old woman with a displaced fracture has the highest risk of developing osteonecrosis after an intracapsular femoral neck fracture than any of the other choices listed. Now moving on to the next topic of tibial tubercle fractures, the first question reads, A 14-year-old male presented to the emergency room after a basketball injury where his knee gave out while going up for a rebound. He has pain and swelling at the knee. 
A CT scan of the knee demonstrates an Ogden type 3 tibial tubercle fracture. What is the best method of definitive treatment? And the choices are 1. A spanning external fixator application. 2. Open reduction and internal fixation. 3. Percutaneous pinning with multiple cannulated screws. 4. Patellar tendon repair with allograft patch. And 5. A hinged knee brace locked at 10 degrees of flexion. So this patient has a tibial tubercle fracture with extension to the articular surface and it's best treated with an open reduction internal fixation with an arthrotomy as needed. Tibial tubercle fractures are most common in adolescent males after a violent contraction of the quadriceps mechanism, typically in an athletic setting. Injury can be limited to the tubercle apophysis or involve the proximal tibial physis, while significant vascular injuries to the popliteal or posterior tibial arterial branches can occur with tibial physis injuries, the recurrent branch of the anterior tibial artery may also be injured in apophysis injuries and cause anterior compartment syndrome. Given the fracture pattern and displacement, arthrotomy to visualize the articular surface can aid in reduction prior to fixation. Pratel Mazzini et al. performed a systematic review of tibial tubercle fractures. The most common injuries were Ogden type 3 fractures, and 88% of all fractures were treated operatively with an overall 99.4% union rate. There was a 28% complication rate, with symptomatic hardware being the most common. Overall, this study demonstrates excellent outcomes for these fractures with few long-term extensor mechanism issues. Jokoi et al. reviewed a case series of adolescent tibial tubercle fractures treated surgically and rates of return to basketball. They found that all patients were able to return to play nine months post-op with all the open reduction and internal fixation cases achieving union. So the correct answer to this question is two, open reduction and internal fixation is the best method of definitive treatment for an Ogden type 3 tibial tubercle fracture. Moving on to the next question, which of the following associated diagnoses is most likely to occur in a young adolescent with a displaced type 3 tibial tubercle fracture that occurred as a result of a non-contact basketball injury? And the choices are one, compartment syndrome, two, perineal nerve palsy, three, patellar dislocation, 4. ACL and LCL injuries, and 5. ACL and MCL injuries. So most tibial tubercle fractures occur as a result of a non-contact injury, often while a skeletally immature athlete lands from a jump. The resulting zone of soft tissue injury often exceeds that of the tibial tubercle itself, leading to the development of a compartment syndrome. Typically, tibial tubercle fractures are not associated with ACL, MCL, LCL, or patella injuries. So the correct answer to this question is one, compartment syndrome. And the final question for this topic, a 14-year-old boy sustains a displaced tibial tubercle fracture. He subsequently develops compartment syndrome and requires fasciotomy. Injury to what artery is most likely responsible? And the choices are one, perineal, two, posterior tibial, three, middle geniculate, four, saphenous, and five, anterior tibial recurrent. So this is a concept that is often tested about this topic, and the correct answer to this question is anterior tibial recurrent. The anterior tibial artery lies on the anterior surface of the interosseous membrane and supplies the anterior compartment of the leg. The anterior tibial recurrent artery arises superiorly over the tibial tubercle to supply the anterior knee and can be injured by displaced fractures of the tubercle, as is the case in this question. Pape et al. stressed that soft tissue disruption associated with tibial tubercle injuries are often underappreciated and compartment syndrome should be considered, especially in adolescent boys.
That's all for this question review session about femoral neck fractures and tibial tubercle fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.